I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Rosalinda. Trouble you for uh, tissue? Sure. Now I don't have to read any of this, right? Because I don't have my glasses. <laughs> Hi, my name is Rosalinda, and I'm a compulsive overreader. Hi. Hi. Nice to see all of you, and I'm glad I could. I found this place. Um, actually, as I was driving by, I realized I've been here before. And I believe there are other 12-step programs that have meetings here. So I was here before. I was able to find the restroom. Um, <laughs> where to start? Well, I, first of all, does this block me from you? No? Okay, cool. Because uh, it blocks me. <laughs> um, as I said, my name is Rosalinda. I am a compulsive overreader, an alcoholic, and your regular run-of-the-mill compulsive addictive personality. Except for one thing. For the last 22 years, I've had a 12-step program. So that makes me run-of-the-mill, but by God's grace here today. Um, I came into this program over 20 years ago. And... Um, I need for... Oh, there's the clock. Yes. Uh, half an hour. Is the gentleman here? Did he step out? I'll let you know when you've got like five minutes left. Or ten minutes. That would be good. Huh? Sure. Because I always start off by thinking, oh, my God, what am I going to say for half an hour? But that's a big lie. You know, I can talk about myself forever. And uh, bless you. And so you do have to let me know about ten minutes ahead of time so that I can start to shut down a little bit. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, I came in, I'm going to be a real pest. Do I have to stand on this podium? Can I stand out there? No, you don't have to stay there, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Pardon me? Oh, that's right. I completely forgot. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to do my Las Vegas act. <laughs> uh, I have been in this program, as I said, over 22 years, and, um, I came in through another program, and the individual that uh, brought me into this program was uh, trying to help me in other matters of my life. It was, and I shall mention, Helena. And uh, she had uh, started attending away meetings. And she talked to me about the OA program. I hadn't gone to an OA meeting. I'd gone to Helena. And uh, she said, you know, I think it might be of some help to you. Now, at that time, I was 240 pounds. I've lost over 110 pounds by the grace of God. I wore moo-moos. I was only 25 years old, and I wore moo-moos. That, that was my lifestyle. Moo-moos. And I no longer call them thongs. I call them flip-flops because when people envisioned me at 240 pounds with a thong and a moo it was a very <laughs> So it's flip-flops is what I used to wear on my feet. And, uh, and I was only 25. I had three children. I was married at 16 and had my first son. 
had my three children by the time I was 25. And uh, my life coming into the 12-step programs was taking care of my babies. The highlight of my life was sitting in front of the TV on Saturday mornings, watching cartoons and eating tricks or some kind of sugar-flavored cold cereal, you know, and drinking milk and eating Mexican sweet bread with my three children. That was the highlight of my week. There was a time when, at that point in my life, in my mid-twenties, we were living in a very affluent area, and uh, one of the neighbors around my age with two little children came over and she asked me if I wanted to play tennis. I was uh, 240 pounds, standing in the door in a moo holding a baby. And I thought she was joking. I thought she had come to, in some way, humiliate me. Not that that was her intention. I'm sure she was trying to be a nice young woman. But I wanted to tell her when I opened the door, and she said, would you like to play some tennis later? I wanted to tell her, can't you see? Can't you see that I don't do anything? And I just said, no, thank you. And I closed the door. And I went back I went back into the house. And I thought it was strange that there actually were people doing life out there. When I came into this program, in the promises it tells us we will we will uh, gain what we didn't have. Well, I had no youth. I was married at 16 and I was divorced by the time I was 28. And I was morbidly obese in all those years. But by the grace of this program, I'm jumping a little bit ahead here, um, I made up for those years. Uh, I went on to a very prestigious university by the grace of this program. At that time, I was only 33. And um, I had a college life. God gave me that gift. Um, I definitely wasn't a sorority. I mean, you know, I had three kids. And <laughs> but... I had a life, a life as if a youth would have had a life. And God gave me the gift of that. Um, I'm going to start, go back now and go back to start with my childhood. I'm Hispanic, Rosalinda Gonzalez. Um, I was raised in East Los Angeles. My parents were... Uh, illegal aliens, they crossed the border, they came to work in the fields. My father was a very, very bright gentleman. His big deal was sitting down and reading a book. And I was very blessed to have that kind of a father um, 
who was stressed education, who was stressed, us working hard. Um, my mother was a little different, as mothers can be, or even fathers. My mother came from a place of a great deal of fear. And when I was a little girl, uh, up until the age of seven, I was very, very thin. People would be, you know, please sit down and eat, you know. And I remember somebody telling me that I had gone down to 130-some pounds, and somebody came to me and said, oh, you have to eat something, you know. And I looked at her like, you don't tell me that. You can't say that to me, you know, because I will go and eat the whole town. Um, But I remember um, I was walking down the street, and, and we happened to live in South Central Los Angeles at the time. And it was, it was a wonderful experience for me because as a child of diversity, there was just all kinds of ethnic populations in our neighborhood, Afro-American, Hispanic. Um, we had some folks from Arkansas. We just a great blending there. And uh, as kids, we all played together. I mean, you know, we, nobody said don't go play with so-and-so. You know, our parents worked, were gone all day, all these kids were just hanging out, and we played. You know, we played ball, dodgeball, whatever. And it was a wonderful, it was a wonderful time for me. Um, and I had all the freedom in the world to walk around the block and go to the liquor store and go buy something or go, you know, at 8 o'clock at night, go over to Homer's house and sit down and watch. You know, we just had that kind of childhood, despite the fact that the neighborhood itself could be a little tough at times. We didn't experience that as little kids. Um, And I remember I was walking to the liquor store to get my mother some milk. And my mother, for some reason, was following behind me. I don't know if she decided to go and get something else, but she was behind me. And um, I was seven or eight. And this woman came out of the liquor store, and I was, like, standing on the curb. And she comes over to me, and, and she kneels down, and she looks at me. And she says, my God, you were such a beautiful little girl. You know, look at those beautiful eyes. And I was like, you know, because we didn't grow up with somebody telling you, oh, you're so pretty, or, you know, we just didn't grow up like that. Uh, Our family was very humble, and they were going to keep you down if it was the last thing they did, you know, but you weren't going to go that route. And I was just like, oh, my God, you know. And my mother heard her, and my mother comes over to me, and she knelt down in front of me, and she she looked at me and she said, that lady thinks you're pretty, but I know what you're really like. And I looked at her and all of a sudden this little heart like broke, you know. She said, you know, you have a really bad temper. And that lady doesn't know that. And she walked away. And Later, you know, after I lost all my weight, I sat down with my mom. Must have been about ten years ago, and I looked at her. I said, I, I brought that particular scene back up, and I said, Mom, do you remember that? She goes, No, but she said, You don't understand. She said, I knew you were a pretty girl, and I felt like, like I had to keep you low, so that your head wouldn't get big. And this was her way, you know, of 
of me dealing with my life, to have that low sense of self-esteem. And unfortunately, it did. For the next 10 years, I ate so that my body would reflect what a terrible person I was inside. I didn't, as a child, realize how very sick that was because I was just a child, you know. And there was nobody I could go and talk to and say, you know, why did my mommy say this or why do I do We just didn't come from that kind of background. But up until the age of 15, I would eat to punish whoever that soul was inside for being as dark as it was. And uh, people would then say to me, oh, you have such a beautiful little face, if only you weren't so fat. And I grew, grew, in all ways. Um, I was so ashamed of who I was that when I was going to school, and I was going to a Catholic school to add shame on top of shame, <laughs> and, um, you know, you had those, we had these uniforms that were like plaid and wool and wore them. They didn't have summer uniforms at that time. You wore that all year. You know, and this big blue navy sweater and you know, these socks. There's the, 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 the socks I wear for gym now, the slouch socks. Well, at that time, they, they weren't supposed to be slouch socks, but that's what they looked like. You know, they were falling all over my ankles. Um, and at the age of 10, I was wearing a girdle. I already knew that I had to hide from you. So under the, you know, on, under the skirt, there was a girdle. On top of the skirt, there was a sweater. On top of that sweater was a London fog coat. And I wore that all year round. Now, you think maybe a mother or father would think, why is she doing that? You know, we didn't, my parents didn't come from that place. My father, you know, worked all day in the fields. My mother worked as a seamstress. Their whole life was about feeding five kids and getting us through the day, you know. When I got to the point in life, I was about 15 or 16, that I realized that I just couldn't go on with coats and girdles and hiding. I just couldn't do it anymore. And, you know, we call that in our program our bottom. And then, you know, the options... The option for me is God. You know, my bottom brings God. At that time, my option was was a summer day, and I was 15 years of age, and I was watching that famous Dr. Marcus Welby show, for any folks that remember him. And uh, it was a repeat. I don't know how old it was, but in the story, there is a young girl who's 15 years of age who was morbidly obese and who over the summer loses like 40, 50 pounds and she goes back to school and she's beautiful and 
everybody likes her and everybody talks to her. I saw that. And I became her. I was going to do that. I was going to go back to school and I was going to be that beautiful little girl. And I lost 40 pounds. I, you know, I didn't have diet pills. I think I just, I just did I go back to school. I'm a junior in high school. I go back to school. And the first day that I go back, you know, my friends don't even recognize me. And I got a, a locker. And in order to get to my locker, I had to go through the gym. And I remember I had a new blouse and a new skirt. And my mom and my dad couldn't afford to buy a whole lot of clothes. So when you got a new blouse and a new skirt, it was a big deal. And I remember walking through the gym to get to my locker. And the boys were already, you know, doing weights and doing all their stuff there. And they stopped to look at me. And they made comments. I could not accept them as a good thing. It was like I felt the same shame I felt at 225 pounds. There was something wrong with me. I could not even understand a positive or any kind of a comment as to what I look like physically other than shame. And I walked back to my locker and I never did that again. I would always walk all the way around to get to my locker because I didn't want to go through that. And I think that blossoming sexuality, I, I see that in a lot of our program where, you know, women and men, when they get to puberty because there is so little in terms of outside support and, you know, helping the young person make it through those difficult years, we turn to food or we turn to drugs or we turn to, you know, whatever. But something to give us some sense of peace. And I see these beautiful women in program who have been overweight and obese since they were 13 years old. Big surprise, you know. Um, because we have no one to say, you know, you're a beautiful little girl, you know. Let me help you walk through life. Let me support you in the beauty of not just physically, it doesn't even have to be physical, but who you are inside. <laughs>
you can probably understand why he ended up ten years, nine years later with three children in front of the TV show on Saturday mornings. It's not that hard to figure out. And then through a tragedy, our lives changed. I think there was a, today in the 24-hour day, talks about the writer Sanskuri, I pronounced the name, I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, but he, he says that when nature brings us to a crisis or a pleasure, that we will become what is inside of us to become. It's not that it was never there before, but this crisis or this fantastic thing brings, brings it out, makes it real. Uh, through an act of uh, extreme violence, my seven-year-old daughter was paralyzed from the neck down. I went to the hospital with this little girl, and I had a year-and-a-half-old baby. Uh, my son was almost ten, and I had this little girl. And we went to the hospital, and the doctors uh, told me that she was going to die. And I, and, and, it, and it was God. Um, I had a cousin that worked at UCLA, who I hadn't spoken to in years. And I got a hold of her at UCLA, and I told her, this is what's happening to my little girl. They've been, they're telling me she's going to die. And she let me speak to the uh, neurosurgeon, uh, pediatric neurosurgeon, and I spoke to him, and, and he said, no, we're going to bring her over here. We're going to put her in an ambulance. I'm going to send an ambulance out, and we're going to bring her here from West Covina, this little hospital I was in. And so I went to the doctor, and I said, they're going to come for my girl, my baby. Now, imagine this. I'm standing in another room, and um, I have my hair in rollers because I always wanted you to think that I had some place to go in my little head, you know, in my childlike head. If you saw rollers in my hair, you'd think, this fat girl has some place to go. Somebody wants her. And uh, I never had any place to go, but I would put them on. And I had my flip-flops, and, you know, my, the bottom of my feet would get crusty and ugly. <laughs> what a little girl. God bless her. Um, so I'm standing in the reception area, having just talked to my cousin, and I went to the doctor, and the doctor comes over. And I said, you know, this is what I want to do. We're going to send my little girl to UCLA, and they're going to come and this and that. And he looked at me, and he came back, and he brought me a form like this. And on the form, I, that the hospital relinquishes all responsibility for this child and that the mother takes full responsibility and if the child should die on the way to UCLA, it's all a mother's fault. Now, you're, you were talking to a 25-year-old girl that had never taken responsibility for anything in her life. That's why I ate. So that I could forget that there even was such a thing as being responsible and accountable for yourself because I didn't know how to do that. So he gave me this form and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, I can't sign this. I don't, I can't, you know, I can't do this. 
sudden, and it talks about it in our, the 12-step big book, I had the experience of a presence next to me. As if I, I could feel a body. And I felt the warmth of that body encircle me and hold me. And I actually went like this to look around to see who was holding me. And I heard this voice say, Sign it. She's going to be all right. And I signed it. And that was my spiritual experience. The experience that brought me into this program. Um, The week prior, I had met that woman from another 12-step program who had told me about the way. After they got my daughter to the hospital and they put her on a respirator, I was there for about three days and the doctor, I think, looked at me and could smell that I hadn't had a bath. And he said, maybe you should go home, you know, and change your clothes. I mean, he had to tell me, you know. And I had my baby with me, and the only person I could think of to go to that would actually not turn me away was this lady that I met in the program. I went to her house because they had had the meeting the week before at her house. I went to her house, and I was so chicken shit afraid to go and knock on the door that I sent my toddler, who was about a year and a half, to the door. I told him, go knock, mijo, go knock, you know. And he toddled up there, and I went behind him, (laughs) and we knocked on the door. And you could tell this was a 12-step family, because I cannot imagine. She's seen me once. I'm standing in front of her. You know, I smell. I'm in a moo-moo, rollers, you know, crying. This baby's crying. She opens the door. She looks at me, and I said, I was at your house last week, and my daughter's dying, and I don't know what to do, and I don't know where to go. Everybody was having dinner. They all, I could see from the side, they all got up and went to the dance. (laughs) And she put her arms out like this. And I fell into those arms. And even though she was my, my sponsor for 15 years, I knew that I did not fall into her arms. I fell into the arms of God. For the next 15 years of my life, that lady walked with me through every step. I mean, three, four times a day. You know, I, I am amazed that we do not, we could not pay a psychiatrist enough money to give us what our sponsors give us for fun and for free. Um, she walked me through uh, my daughter's recovery. Uh, my daughter recovered. They told me she would never live. Uh, she recovered enough to go on to full body braces and eventually into a wheelchair and 
eventually into leg braces. And she went on to become a registered nurse and an OBGYN specialist. And she went on to get married and to have two children and to be a joy and a beauty. Uh, my sponsor walked me through going to school. Of course, the very first thing she did, and I should always say this, is she gave me a big book when I finally left her house three hours later. And she said, I want you to open the first page of this book, honey, and I want you to read the first page. And then to read page 449, which is an acceptance prayer. I know you're not going to understand this, but I just want you to do this. And I want you to get on your knees, and I want you to think of a rose. Just a rose. How it's, how it's moist and dewy in the mornings. How it's open to God's will. That's what I want you to think of for just five minutes. You know, and my head was like going, you know, miles an hour. And she said, that's all I want you to do. But I want you to take a shower. And I want you to iron your clothes. And I want you to wash your hair. And I want you to do life as a lady. And that's how she grew me up. She raised me. She raised me to become a PhD student, to graduate with honors from SC. You know, when I was on welfare, and you know, I thought the bells were going to go off on the campus when I went to apply for scholarships. You know, they didn't turn me away. They took me, and she walked me through uh, uh, an assault with a deadly weapon against me, my person, a rape. Uh, she walked me through my daughter's recovery. She walked me through my boys going to school and getting scholarships, and they're now international teachers in uh, the Middle East and Far East. She's not with me today, and I'll tell you why. About five years ago, six years ago, I was had reached my goal weight. And she was at um, 280 pounds. And she said, I can't do it anymore. It would be wrong for me to call myself your sponsor. And I, I grieved. I grieved for months for that lady. And I went on to get another sponsor. Uh... I think the most important thing that I want to share, because I, I do want folks to have questions and answers, um, is that there are many times in this walks of life where you think that you're done. You know, you have the career, the children are fine, uh, you're at your weight, uh, you have a wonderful boyfriend, um, I'm done. You know, I, I, I'll go to meetings and I'll do what I have to do. You know, I'll read. And, and the truth is, you're never done. You're never done. Uh, in December, I contacted um, that uh, flesh-eating disease. Almost lost my leg. Uh, um, and I thought, come on, God. You know, I've got a life here to do. And after that, 
a real tragedy. Today's uh, tragedy is tomorrow's comedy, I think. I don't know today. Uh, that beautiful daughter of mine was diagnosed with leukemia and cancer. And uh, I've never done this one before. Not for my child. And many times I fall down. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I don't know what to do. But by the grace of this program, there are people in this program who have been there day and night for me, who have given me words, who have given me insights, who have told me who to talk to. Um, and my daughter said something to me when she first told me about her diagnosis. She said, Mom, I need for you to be strong. I need for you to be strong. And I wasn't quite sure how I was going to do that. And I had an experience. Shortly thereafter, I was fired because I was not at my job. Um, and my secretaries came to me, and I looked at them, and I said, I need for you to be strong. I need for you to help me go through this. And I knew. I knew what my daughter needed from me. Um, through the grace of this program, I've met some other women who have similar circumstances regarding their children. They're a lot older than my girl. My girl's 28. Um, but it's a wonderful, wonderful bond that we can share. I mean, because we, we support each other as well as the people in these programs. Um, you know, and I always thought, you know, there's got to be something that's worth eating over. I mean, to me, this is worth eating over. You know, I can just sit in the refrigerator and eat my way through this. But then, I couldn't be strong for my daughter. I couldn't be strong for me. Because I know what this disease will do to me. And for today, just for today, I choose not to do that. Um, for today, I do, as my daughter asked me, Mom, go get another good job. Um, Mom, take care of yourself. I need for you to be strong. Not just emotionally, but physically and economically. I need for you to be whole, because you have to help me be whole. And so for today, that is what I do. Um, bless you. And uh, I have done this program for the last 22 years. I've done prayer and meditation in the morning for anywhere from half an hour to an hour. I eat today two meals a day. When I first came into this program, I ate three meals a day. And I put anything and everything I wanted into those three meals, but I did not eat in between. And that was the best I could do. It's now mutated so that I have two meals a day with a lot of fish, and a lot of chicken, and a lot of fruit. It's pretty boring. Um, I don't always do it perfectly, you know. Um, I screw up a lot of the time, and my program has been an imperfect program, but I've never left in 22 years. Maybe because nobody else would help me, you know. Uh, but no, I stay because this is my home. 
This is where I found me, and this is where I will continue to find me by the grace of God through you. Thank you for letting me share. Talk about how you work step 11. Uh, how I work step 11. Uh, in the morning is my best time for prayer and meditation. My mind, my mind is clear, supposedly. Um, and I have just uh, an array of all kinds of books. Uh, I say the third step prayer right away. As soon as I get up in the morning, I get on my knees before I even go to the toilet. You know, so that makes me hurry and do it real fast. <laughs> and then um, I take my journal, my pen, my glasses, three or four books, and I go outside. Yeah, and sometimes it's like dark. You know, maybe 4.30 in the morning I've got an early appointment. Um, but I have always, always done that. And I can count the times on my hands when I have not done it. I've done it like at 11. And, and I can tell you that between, between the time I woke up to 11, 12 o'clock when I finally got to it for some emergency reason, that I was bonkers. You know, I just, I just am. That centers me for the day. You know, um, my prayer and meditation is breathing, is breathing and asking God as I breathe to let me do his work, to let me be a service, to let me be God in the way I act and talk and work with people. Um... I do three meetings a week. That's part, that's part of my prayer and meditation. It's to be able to listen to others as well without thinking of myself. Um, my prayer and meditation is um, exercise. Uh, when the doctor said that when I was sick that I couldn't do anything strenuous or stressful, I had to tell him exercise is not stressful for me. You know? Bike riding on the beach is not stressful for me. That that brings me closer to who I was meant to be through God, with God. Those things are part of my prayer and meditation. Um, I have tapes. I have a lot of, lot of spiritual tapes. Um, and I listen to them all the time. And um, I try to see God in other people. Even when I, I can't figure out how he's in there, <laughs> I I try to do my very best. That means that if my roommate is having a bad day and has left the dishes in the sink and I've said a cheery good morning and she just grumbles. And as I walk by the dishes, you know, I don't say, I'll be damned if I'm going to do those dishes. And I go and do the dishes. That's for God. That's a God in me. You know. I try to do my best in everything that I do. And my best may be different tomorrow, but today this is what I do, regardless of what is happening. You're welcome. Anybody else? One more question? No? <laughs>
Okay. Well, thank you very much.